Welcome to the Uplifting Content Podcast. I'm your host, Ioni Butler, and the founder of Uplifting Content. And every Tuesday, I'll share with you conversations with remarkable guests on a wide range of topics. My goal with this podcast is to introduce you to new people, ideas, and techniques that provide value and insight, which I hope you find uplifting. Today, let's talk about content with a purpose with Sheila Andreen. We made angst in nine months, and it's been a just about a year and a a little over a year and a half. And I think we've done over 2000 screenings in 23 countries. It's been translated into seven languages and dubbed into Spanish. So clearly people do want to see a movie about mental health Mm -hmm. and it's saving lives. My guest today, Sheila Andreen, is an award-winning producer and CEO and founder of IndieFlix, which is a global streaming and screening service that focuses on content with a purpose. She's included in Variety's Women's Impact Report as an executive making a difference and is a popular speaker at numerous film festivals. She is the director and producer of Like, Angst, Screenagers, and her latest movie, The Upstanders. Sheila is on a mission to change the world with film. In this episode, we spoke about IndieFlix and how it came about, how it was to build IndieFlix at the same time Netflix was on the rise, how she shifted from chasing the green to chasing quality in her work. And I love that term, chasing the green. How and why IndieFlix transitioned from an independent film platform to specifically content with a purpose. The power of in-person screenings and how they have the ability to start conversations. And so much more. Sheila has also offered to give one of our lucky listeners a year's subscription to IndieFlix. So if you love content with a purpose, this is the giveaway for you. You can enter to win by signing up. The links will be in the show notes. So without further ado, please enjoy this week's episode. Sheila, thank you so much for joining us on the Uplifting Content Podcast today. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Um, as I like to start these questions, these interviews with the same question, I will do it again. Um, could you share with the audience a little bit about yourself, um, what you do, and how you got into this work, please? Oh, my. Okay. So how I got into it, I actually was at um, NYU studying to be a litigator. I liked, uh, I love the law. And I fell in love with a director who asked me to help him on a commercial because the stylist didn't show up. And I ended up making $800 a day and getting fed really well. And it was hanging out and I was shopping and and dressing people. And I had so much fun. I quit school and I started to do a whole bunch of stuff with him, Hmm. which then led me into television where I did the Wonder Years, Party of Five, Dawson's Creek as a costume designer. And then I got interested in directing and producing and I would direct and produce short films during my hiatus. And then started to go to the film festivals around the world with my films and met other filmmakers and start and learned that there were a lot of uh, amazing films that were not getting picked up mm-hmm. for distribution. There was a ton of crap too. Mm-hmm. But there was so many, there was a lot of great films that weren't being seen by anybody. So I thought, you know, I, mean, I just thought, Oh, that's nice. But then uh, my first feature film got multiple offers. It wasn't a bidding war at Sundance, but we had some healthy advances. You know, it was kind of like, that was the dream. Mm. When I looked closely at those agreements, this is where my love of the law came in. I started to sort of pick through it a little bit. And I thought, God, no cap on expenses. They could change the title. They could not release it. It would cost me almost the amount of the advance to deliver the film. And I just started feeling like, gosh, you know, we might not make any money. Mm. And I ended up, we ended up not um, taking any of those deals. 
we used that first film, which was so funny because it was called Outpatient. Mm-hmm. And we used that to launch IndieFlix, which is a global streaming and now screening service. Uh, and recently I pivoted to be content for a purpose. But at one point we had almost 15,000 titles. Wow. And so what, what timing-wise with timing wise with like Netflix and stuff like that, how, how, what, what was your kind of journey with, with that? Well, you know, it's sort of funny. I literally, I just, I was a huge Netflix fan only because I was so sick of paying late fees to Blockbuster mm-hmm. and you know, my kids would keep the video and borrow it. And so, and I was just like, ah, so when Netflix came out as DVD on demand, no late fees, I signed up, I was in. Mm. But then when I, you know, a little time had passed and when I started to, when I wanted to start my own, you know, it wasn't streaming at the time, but it was a distribution service for all these wonderful filmmakers out there that were not getting distribution. Mm-hmm. I had a dream. I was, um, the dream was, and I dream like a filmmaker. I was in New York. I was obviously on Central Park South because I was looking up the park and a very high pet house, floor to ceiling windows. And I'm sitting on this little leather kind of Ottoman thing. And someone says, oh, do you know Sheila? She has a company called IndieFlix. And then I sort of stand out of frame and I'm talking to whoever it is. And I kind of woke up and I went to my computer. And in those days, it was uh, network solutions, I think. And I went in and IndieFlix was available. It was wow. expensive, you know, $800. What? Yeah. And it was expensive for those days. Because with GoDaddy, I mean, GoDaddy, you can get domain names for, you know. Five bucks. Yeah. $2 even. Yeah. So I purchased it. And then I went to work. I was at Warner Brothers working on a TV show. And I went in and I said, okay, I just got the name of my company. It's. IndieFlix. And they're like, oh, I've heard of you. And I said, no, you haven't. I, I just bought the <laughs> domain today. And they're like, no, you have, you're like Netflix for independent film. And I just thought, yeah. So then I started to really study Netflix and we were DVD on demand. And then, you know, streaming came in and, you know, when the world economy went to the toilet around 2007, 2008, um, that's when a lot of the competitors dropped off and we still stood. And that was sort of the, a pivotal time for the company. And for me, as a woman CEO, as someone in distribution and kind of really cut my teeth. Mm-hmm. How did you, so how did you navigate through those times and how did you, how did you grow it? And at what point, there's like three questions all in one. And at what point did you pivot to the, um, the, the content with a purpose? Cause that's yeah. pretty much, that's what I started uplifting content for too. Yeah. So I look at this, like, this is exactly what I want to sort of I love that question. Thank you for asking that, actually. Um, you know, I started off in commercials, and for me, it was just having fun and all about the money. You mm-hmm. know, I was a starving college student. I just now quit college, and I was living in New York. So I needed, I was chasing the green. And <laughs> then I started to do, like, The Wonder Years, which was my first TV show. And I don't know if you're familiar with that show, but it is, I mean, it's classic television now, so I'm totally dating myself. And in fact, I just made a, a we just made a huge donation to the Smithsonian of some of the costumes that were worn in the show. Amazing. But the scripts for that show, I mean, we won the Humanitas Award for television after only seven episodes, the first season. But that show helped me. It, I, brought, I was brought up on quality, quality writing, quality acting. And in those days, Juliette Lewis was dating Jason Hervey, who was playing the brother. So she was hanging out on set. She was just playing the girlfriend. But in real life, she was dating Brad Pitt. So he was hanging out on set. And Olivia Dabo was dating Julian Lennon. And we had, like, we had all this mix of people yeah. um, who were just hanging out. Like, nobody had really made it big. But there was this family sort of feel and quality. And so I went on to other shows like Party of Five, which was also 
quality. Dawson's Creek, like especially mm-hmm. the early years, the scripts were just amazing. So that got me addicted to quality. Mm. When I would start to do shows, I couldn't do, I couldn't do stuff that I didn't connect with. Um, and I ended up, you know, I've gone through a lot. I have being a college dropout. I didn't know how to use Excel or PowerPoint. I didn't know about budgets. I didn't know about financial metrics. I didn't know about raising money. And when I just thought I was so naive and idealistic, I thought I'm going to hang a little shingle, but I make shoes. I might as well have a shoe store and I'll open it up to all the other people who make shoes and every will have distribution that's fair and equitable and transparent. And everyone thought I was insane. Mm-hmm. So nobody took me seriously. Mm-hmm. On top of other aspects, being of color, being a woman, being in a totally male-dominated space. Yeah. But I was naive. I didn't even know. And because I'd always kind of been bullied as a kid, I lived on the fringe anyway. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't new for me to be a kind of an outsider. Mm-hmm. Always wanting in, but always you know being an outsider, no matter what I did. So... I ended up, um, I got divorced and um, moved my kids up to Seattle where I was able to raise some money. And I started learning about raising money. Boy, have I learned about that. Checking. Mm-hmm. I've checked my power at the door and gone in and anyone who was possibly a check writer had more power and smarter and knew everything more than me. And it took me years to learn that lesson, that, that mm-hmm. that's not the case and that it should be, you know, it's a two-way thing. Um, oh, I see. So you're saying you went in thinking that they were above you and that uh, they, need, you, they needed you, right, and now you've shifted that. Yeah. Understand well, I mean, that. I go in and I just think, is it a good fit? Yes. Like, is yes. it the right energy? Is this the person that I want part of our family, right? Like, this yeah. is, it's so much more personal now. Right. Um, but I learned so much, even to this day, I and mean, I have a really thick skin now. Like, I, even to this day, recently, I was somewhere and said, someone said, how is it that you're still in business? You must have a sugar daddy. Oh, like, that's a new one. I should have, I should have got a sugar daddy. That would have been so much better than doing financial metrics and you know comps and going wow. in the dog and pony show. It was like I should have just got a sugar daddy. Who said that? A man. Yeah, a nice man too in the industry who was just like astounded. Yeah, when companies who have a hundred million dollars are falling. When yeah. companies who have some of the best of the best behind them are failing, mm-hmm. he doesn't get it. Mm-hmm. How is that possible? And, um, and, and why? Why are you staying in it when you're not, like, when you're not selling it like within three years for right. like yeah. a, a seven or eight X? But yeah. I was mission driven. Mm. And so that started to make me think as we were growing. And at one point when we hit almost 15,000 titles, and we're marketing them and doing social and everything. And I didn't have money to market. It was all grassroots. It's word of mouth. But I had the power of the filmmakers. And then I realized filmmakers are people too. They don't even market their own movies. They do a great job up until the festival and they sort of drop off. Mm. And I just sort of thought, you know, I don't even know what to watch on my own platform. So how can I get other people to watch if I don't even want to watch? So I thought, what, what do I want to watch? And that coming from a narrative world, I didn't know anything about documentaries. I would like a few here and there, but I wasn't big on docs. And I ended up getting involved with a little documentary called Finding Kind, which is um, Lauren Parsikian, now Lauren Paul, who's married to Aaron Paul from Breaking Bad. Mm -hmm. And Molly Thompson made this movie about girl bullying. Mm -hmm. And it had a profound effect on me because I was so bullied as a kid. Like I was the kind where kicked, spit on, locked in closets, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I always vowed that if I could do anything, to keep someone else from feeling the way I felt, I would go to great lengths. So this movie, they were looking for finishing funds. It crossed my desk. 
I watched it alone in my living room as a rough cut. And I, the first thing I wanted to do was to turn to someone and talk to them. Mm. There was no one to talk to. Mm. So I ended up getting involved with the film, raised some money. We finished it, took it up to a school where uh, my daughter went to school, showed it to the sixth and seventh graders. And it had such a profound effect on the school that it has gone on to screen in schools throughout the world, like wow. 50 countries. And it still screens in schools to this day. And the, and the filmmakers go on tour. So then my board was looking at me crooked and the investors and they're like, wait a minute. So you're taking these, this film into schools and yet you're the CEO of a global streaming service. Mm -hmm. And I felt like, and, and of course, after Finding Kind came out, the schools were like, that was amazing. What else have you got? Can you make conversation discussion guides? Can you create marketing materials? Can you create, you know, like curriculum? Can you create activities for us? And suddenly we're like doing all this because the demand was there. So then I got involved with another little great film called The Empowerment Project, which was Sarah Moshman and Dana Michelle Cook. We took that one around the world, and it still tours around the world, and it's also available in other places. And then I got involved with a film called Screenagers, which is all about growing up in the digital age. Mm -hmm. And then a friend of mine asked me to make a movie about mental health, because she yeah. said, you go into thousands of schools in 50 countries, you need to make a movie about mental health. And I just said, no. I'm not going to touch that. Mm -hmm. who, who would want to go see a movie about mental health? That sounds depressing and heavy. I, I, I know nothing about it. I mean, I was thinking Cuckoo's Nest and, you know, like just, I, I didn't know anything about it. And I thought also I serve families and schools and they're not going to want to watch that. So she kept asking me for about a year and then um, she died by suicide. Oh and goodness. I saw her every week. Mm. And I got the call from a dear friend and I was, I remember I was standing in my dining room looking out the window. It was January. And I just thought, okay, I'm going to make a movie about mental health. Mm -hmm. And it's got to be filled with hope and resources and tools. And it's got to be like where kids can see it. So, mm -hmm. so I ended up making angst. We brought together an amazing director, uh, Matt Scarrett and a really dear friend of mine and fellow producer, Karen Gornick. And we made, angst in nine months and it's been a, just about a year and a, a little over a year and a half and i think we've done over 2,000 screenings in 23 countries it's been translated into seven languages and dubbed into spanish so clearly people do want to see a movie about mental health mm -hmm. and it's saving lives mm -hmm. and so now we've created this so i thought you know what if i'm going to make this kind of content this is what gets me excited this is what helps me walk through you know glass and fire and those hard things i need to clean up the streaming so then i pivoted mm -hmm. and i scratched out and and sloughed off we're down to five thousand titles now put it that way wow. and people were like what screw you you're supposed to be you know like the indie cheerleader and i'm like look i love movies i love indies too but i love just movies i just love mm -hmm. content mm -hmm. i don't care who's in it I don't care how long it is. I just want to make sure that it's good, something that I'm interested in that's good quality. Right. So now we are content for a purpose. We stream, we have probably like 5,200 titles, shorts, features, documentaries, web series. And now we're making original content. We have about six more movies on the roadmap. So we'll be pushing out probably, we hope is to push out two a year. Mm -hmm. And they screen offline in schools, communities, and now corporations. We're working with some of the biggest corporations in the world who then screen it 
throughout their offices, their headquarters throughout the country, and then make it available to their employees to help raise awareness, to point them to their wellness benefits, right? So that they can, it's all about prevention. It's about paying attention to each other. And that is actually the thing that I love the most is using film for good to connect us. Yeah. And you know, it's funny. I don't know if you've you've experienced this, like what you're doing now. I think if you look back at your childhood, there is a connection there somewhere. There's this, there's this, um, and, and I mean, now I can't help but be grateful that I was so bullied, right? Because I would have never had this fire in my belly mm-hmm. to want to help people. And, and I would not have lived on the fringe, right? Yeah. So I wouldn't be comfortable there. In fact, now when I'm like included in something, I'm bored. <laughs> <laughs> that took me a while to figure out. I was like, okay, like I get the invite, I'm like, I'm in. Oh my God, yeah. like, I'm one of them. Mm. And then I'm there and I'm like, this is so boring. Like I'm mm-hmm. actually more comfortable on the fringe. Right. So, but um, that's how I got to content for a purpose. Oh, so when did you, so first of all, I'm just so blown away by this conversation and you and, and the work that you do in like the film, because it's everything that I stand for. I started this, just to give you a bit of backstory. I started this platform because all my life I've dealt with depression. So exactly everything that I'm doing uh, does stem back to my childhood hundred percent. And I would find that I would be in the depths of depression and it was just so horrible and I was very lonely. I didn't know how to communicate to, and I didn't know who to communicate to about these things. And I hated it, but I would always want to find content, movies, things that I could watch that would help me lift me out of that or like give me yeah. the tools because it's, it's just a horrible feeling being in the depths of despair. And then I started kind of reading and learning about personal development and that really helped with my growth. Um, but I would just find that, and as an actress too, I would watch stuff and it wouldn't make me feel good. You know, I, I really struggle with this too as an actress. A lot of the things that are on TV are kind of, messages that I don't really agree with and like it's sort of perpetuating this idea of how we should live and humanity all about having things and more and like all these messages I'm not always 100% down for Um, and so uplifting content was uh, the idea came that it's a hub of inspiration like we Mm. ideally originally it was to produce but I didn't have the resources or the know-how to do that and then it became like about sharing and bringing people together and so um, just to hit like everything that you're doing is so fantastic and necessary and I, and I love that you made it that um, went in that direction with it um, the couple of things I had was you'd said that you share some of these things offline do you still share them online when you take them out to schools and they're not they're not so what what's the well, difference? why don't they go on the indie flicks some they of will eventually like we it's sort of like when when a Hollywood movie comes out it goes into the theaters gotcha it's it's this is that window and okay. I'm guessing that I mean, gosh, Finding Kind, the girl bullying movie, is still touring around the world. We do probably 600 or more screenings a year still. Wow. And I know that if the minute we put it online, sure, a couple thousand people or 10,000 people might watch it, but then it's over, right? Mm -hmm. It's not going to be, unless it's Game of Thrones, right? Like, and the other thing is there will be no conversation. People won't be talking to each other. And it's in the conversation that we make a difference. I've tested it because we've taken stuff online. And, you know, you know, 800 people watched it after we did a thing on Good Morning America, and then it just died off. And I thought, you can't measure the convert. You can't measure anything. There's no, the impact is gone. And I just, I feel like when we, as an existing community, so whether it's your workplace, your family, 
school, school's ideal. When you sit together in an auditorium of six or 800 people or even just 400 people and you witness each other watching something and then mm -hmm. you have this conversation after, mm -hmm. when you see each other in the cafeteria or at the carpool pickup or at the bank or on the soccer field, you're like, yeah, that movie. You know what? I am like that girl who washes her hands 10,000 times a day. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's like, oh, yeah. well, that was me growing up, right? And I totally self-medicate. Like all of a sudden, everyone's sharing and they're talking. And then they start sharing resources. And then they start saying, no, you can go to your primary care physician as a first point of contact because there's an 18-month waiting list to get your kid into a licensed professional in our state. Mm -hmm. you know, like, so there's, when parents yeah. and people start sharing information, and when we can start normalizing the conversation around mental health, and this is what I love is that I learn about things I know nothing about, mm. but like just talking uses three executive functions of the brain. Three. You have, to make, you have to make a motion. That's moving your lips. You have to make a sound and you have to form a sentence. So when all your energy is in the prefrontal cortex, the CEO part of the brain, anxiety can't exist. Mm. So just people being knowing that they can talk to each other and shift the energy in their brain is huge. Mm -hmm. But instead, we are sitting with this shame and this stigma and this, if anybody knew. Like I learned making the movie, I am classic textbook social anxiety. Mm -hmm. And I was so relieved to learn that. I thought, oh my God, that's me. I always thought I was broken. <laughs> and I was just a little bit less than everybody and I didn't want anyone to know so I would never tell anybody mm -hmm. then I would be no one would have, then I would just probably be rather be dead and um, so when I learned this a couple years ago I thought oh. and all the hacks that I'd figured out which I still use to this day mm -hmm. like when I have to go into a room and I don't know anyone I get something to eat something to drink I go to the bathroom and I leave and anyone I meet on that process is who I talk to cool and sometimes I'm there for four hours and I'm the last to leave because I meet such incredible people. And sometimes I'm in and out in half an hour. Right. So something to eat, something to drink. Go and to I bathroom, go to the bathroom. And then you leave. <laughs> and the most interesting people, can I tell you? They're in the bathroom? Yes. <laughs> you're waiting for the stall or you're washing your hands. And I have met some of the most amazing people who've become great friends in the bathroom at Starbucks or, you know, or at the big tent or event that we were at. So, but so, how do you still do the? Uh, if you've got the anxiety, uh, so you're now just better at being open and just engaging in conversation like that. That that doesn't yeah, really bother you anymore. I, mean, I have like whenever there's an event that I have to get dressed for, I I don't even like deal with it until the day of, and then I freak out because I don't know what I'm going to wear or what I'm going to do. And I have thankfully I have friends that I can call and I can just borrow something from them so I can do that. Um, I wear the same thing all the time, so I don't have to worry about that. I'm a repeat eater. Like I, the hardest thing for me is remembering my name and just the first two sentences when I'm doing a keynote. And um, so I just, I have a little rock that I carry with me. When, oh, I snap. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because people are always talking to me like, okay, oh my God, you're going to be great. Is the lighting okay? Can you think? And I'm just sort of like, oh my God, like it creates more anxiety for me. So I mm -hmm. snap because I know that when I'm snapping, it's actually affecting my brain. Mm -hmm. So I'm always thinking in terms of like shifting the gears in my brain so that mm -hmm. I can main, just maintain. Yeah. And the yeah. other thing is, is that, you know, when you practice it, when you like exposure therapy, when you push through, everything so, becomes more manageable, at least for a little while until it starts to build up again. And then you push through. It's yeah, a constant yeah. thing. Yeah. It takes work. Yeah. Yeah. 
and I love that you've, you found your hacks and trips from, and yeah. tips from all of the, the stuff that you do. I think it's brilliant, making movies about stuff you know nothing about and then learning <laughs> <laughs> all. I mean, that's fantastic. Um, can you tell us about Upstanders? upstanders? Yes. So um, the Upstanders is, we just named it that. It was called The Bully Factor. Hmm. Just as a working title because I wanted people to know immediately what it was about. But it just felt negative coming out of my mouth saying that word. Mm -hmm. I think it is overused. I think mm -hmm. someone can cut you off on, on, in the subway or on traffic and, oh, they're a bully. And it's like, no, they just are being an asshole or, mm -hmm. you know, they're just being rude. And so I started to think we need it. I, my list of names is really funny. I should post it one day of all the things we considered. But um, The Upstanders is a third in a trilogy of movies that address very timely topics that we're all dealing with on a universal level, but that all tie back to mental health. Because I think that that is the seed of it. And so my belief with The Upstanders is we are all bullies. Because when we look in the mirror, we can be so unkind mm -hmm. to ourselves. and we're not, you know, I'm sure we can exercise and take care of ourselves, but I'm talking about like being really good to ourselves. So I think that's where I want to start is to make a movie that will inspire people to want to be, to be kind to that person in the mirror mm -hmm. so that we can model how we want to be treated and we want to model how others should treat themselves. And when we learn kindness with ourselves, I think that's when we can truly be kind to others. Instead of, well, I'll be kind to you, so they'll be kind to that person, and hopefully it'll come back to me. Right. Um, so that's, it's all about resilience and community and connection, because we are so connected through technology, but we are so disconnected emotionally, right. Right. and that's a problem. Yeah. So there's angst, which is the first one about anxiety, which sort of then touches on mental health through that, and, then, and just getting people to feel okay to talk. And then there's Like, which is the second movie which just finished is coming out, is out now, which is all about the impact of social media on our lives and technology on the brain and how it's designed for addiction and how we have the power to have balance and moderation in our lives. Yeah. And that when you know what's really going on, actually you get inspired to, to create balance. Mm -hmm. We don't, it's never going away. We don't want it to go away. Social media and technology is fun. And there's a really healthy way to go about it. It's like food. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right social media is like sugar and candy and dessert mm -hmm. and then and there's all this wonderful brain science which i think is fascinating so like did you know that if you spend over 20 minutes on average on social media you can start to feel bad so yeah. if you just keep it under 20 minutes once or twice a day good hack that's yeah. right that's a great way to yeah totally take it um that's so true because i i have such a love hate relationship with social media like my yeah. whole business is social media yeah, and yeah. at the same time i struggle with it and i just did another interview with a fabulous woman just before this one and um, we're talking about this whole like it's just very egocentric and, and there's like finding yeah. that balance between wanting to share what's happening with people that i love and care about or share things that i think would be of value but then also just this whole like me, 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 wanting to post yeah. me and like that can impact. But I definitely, I think it's less than 20 minutes for me. I start to get like, ugh, um, yeah. the comparison thing. But that's a, that's a good, that's a good one. I think a lot of people should, should check to set a little timer. Yeah. Or just then, have it. Yeah. The phone should end it. For yeah. Us. Yeah. They've got, the, the phones are doing that now. They've actually got better at, at, at implementing things like that and so you can keep track of how much you're on a certain app or downtime for apps at certain times um yeah. 
And so then Upstanders is the third in this trilogy. And when do you think that will be out? October. And that one's, we're going to address cyberbullying and we're going to address just this mob mentality. And then, I mean, kids are dying. Yeah. They're being bullied online and the laws are protecting the bully behavior because privacy and um, what was the other one? Privacy and freedom of speech. Hmm. And so there are some great strides being made. This actually, this film will actually have uh, two sort of versions. One is for, that goes into the schools for the parents and the educators and the kids. And it's also screens in the classrooms and everything. And then there's another one I'm making just for educators because there are so many cool programs out there that have significantly reduced bullying and cyberbullying in their communities. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm excited about uh, sharing that with schools. There is a, a company, um, oh gosh, I must have remember the name of it. It's a company that I know they do these videos where it's all different little set, like little things that happen. Oh, uh-huh. try, it's called Try Life, where okay. you, um, an amazing how they make, like each video is like made up of, you know, 200 vignettes or something like that. And then each time you go, you can choose like, what happens if they make this choice or this choice? And then it leads onto another video. They make this choice. Oh. Or this choice. How and do you spell do it? T R Y. L-I-F-E. I should introduce you to the founders of it. Oh, like, I would they're fantastic. Like big projects and then they go out and send them into schools and stuff like that and kids really get behind it and they've got a platform that like that. facilitates it. But yeah, just just really getting immersing people into sort of these experiences and just seeing all the outcomes. Um, oh, that's so yeah. great. It's very cool. Um, and so just because we were talking about this before we started the interview, what's that picture about behind you there? Oh, yeah. So, oh, for anyone that's listening to the podcast, <laughs> you're going to be able to see. Um, I'd say it's like a white, uh, a white picture with two rectangles in the middle of it, one blue, one red. Um, yeah. Yes. And you asked if it was political at all. Uh, yes. Um, but, but it's not, at least not the way I interpret it. I had, I had a co-founder. I still have a co-founder, and he's one of my best friends. He and I started IndieFlix. And after about six months, he said, I can't do this. I just, I'm a theater guy. I like to see the audience and I can't see the audience on the internet. So here's the keys. You've got this. You've got six weeks of funding and you're good. You're fine. And I was like, no, 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 no. I, I have no idea what I'm doing. Like, you had six weeks I was, of funding? Six weeks of funding. And we were in this big fat office that we had just moved into because he kind of did that whole thing, operations and he raised, helped raise the money. He, did, he actually helped fund it himself. And um, we had this beautiful office, but nobody came in. Everybody wanted to meet for coffee, and we had remote contract workers for de- developers. And I was doing, I was building up the library and the brand, and kind of doing marketing stuff. So he leaves, and I'm sitting there. I'm like, oh my god, I have no idea what to do. So I go through the books. I look at that. I look at our rent. I'm like, holy cow! So I get out of this five-year lease, and the guy said, "You will never get out of it." I'm like, watch me. And I got out of it, and I moved down to this little tiny apartment building right near my house because I needed to be close to my kids. I was working, you know, 18 hours a day. And I go in and this, and I was sitting there, I'm thinking like, I got to find money. I don't even know how to raise money. Like I have to, I was in total survival mode and I went into this little apartment, which I knew I could have about three or four employees put in there. Plus I had to like let everybody go. Mm. And I moved in, I went in there and she said, um, it's ready to move in when you're ready. And I said, great. And I opened the closet door and this painting was in there. Hmm. And I was like, oh, and she goes, oh, I'm so sorry. I'll get rid of that. And I said, no, those are my company colors. Like, mm-hmm. this is where I'm supposed to be. 
Mm -hmm. And I have put this up here and it's sat behind me everywhere I go. I've been in this office, which is a fabulous office um, now for a while. And we have nine employees and four mm -hmm. contractors and we've grown. But people have sat at my desk and they look at that and they're like, is that a whatever or whatever? Or I think so and so. There's no signature on it. So mm -hmm. I don't know who did it. But there's what some their people, intention was, but it you right. know, got a meaning for you. Yeah. 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 I love that. Um, do you have any tips um, for like sort of just sort of launching something like this and, and growing? Like what has been a lesson that you've, that you've learned in this whole process, ongoing process of development? Gosh. When we were speaking before I, you. Sorry. I, no, I just, I've learned so much. I wish... I wish that I knew, I wish people had told me that money is important to run your business, but you cannot, don't give up who you are. Don't compromise your dream or how you operate your, your MO from any amount of money. Mm -hmm. um, it's almost a test in a weird way. Because if you really are clear on your vision, I mean, the other thing is you have to do your work. Like people are like, oh, I'm going to go out and raise some money. You have to do your work. You have to do all the heavy lifting. You have to do your research. You've got to put everything together. You have to be prepared to answer any question as if you were going to put your own $5 million into it or, mm -hmm. or even $10,000 or $1,000 into it. What would make you do that, right? What are all the things that go wrong? So be prepared. I also think surround yourself with really smart people who can be really honest with you but also get you mm. and not just because like I always learned like, Oh, that's right. I should have been a little more specific. Like I found really smart people, but they didn't quite get me. Mm -hmm. Right. And they had their way of doing things. So you also have to be super like, no matter what it is, no matter who says something to you, look at the source and how it lands in you. If it feels right, then that's right for you. Mm -hmm. If you like, it doesn't feel right for me, but this person is so respected and they have are so successful and they care about me and they're saying this stuff to me, but it's not sitting with me. Then it isn't right for you. No matter yeah, so, so the logic. No matter who the source or the person is. And then there's another one that, oh my God, I wish I could get it. It's, this is the latest one. And I will tell you, it has saved my life this year uh, since I read it and I saw it online or something and I took a picture of it recently yes. and it's William Buffett. And he did this post, which I love. And it's, you will continue to suffer if you have an emotional reaction to everything that is said to you. Hmm. True power is sitting back and observing things with logic. True power is restraint. If words control you, that means everyone else can control you. Breathe and allow things to pass. And hmm. I just, like, I, that has saved me. It's put me in a whole nother, on a whole nother level. Yeah. And I said, and if there's, if nothing, if nothing I'm saying registers with anyone and maybe a lot of people don't like this, meditate. Like I am, that changed my life yeah. and you know, I shoved it down all my kids throats and everything, but <laughs> it is, um, if we don't reset our brains, if we don't like take that etch a sketch and just shake it and clear it from it, you can't get clear no. on things. And when you are clear and you have vision and you that clarity is what makes it happen right
and I've, I've had lots of different conversations with, and so I think the audience would get what you're saying right now okay. um there's um it's so there's so much like so people there's so much stress there's so much going on it's just all this noise head noise and so it's there's you have to you have to just sit yeah. and sort of let it go and I love that quote we're gonna I'm definitely gonna share that quote too um just I I'm sort of realizing how much of a puppet I can be to what people say or you know when things are going wrong I'm like just suffering and depressed and whatever and then <laughs> I get a phone call and everything's all right again. And I'm like, I feel great now. Right. And, and like being aware of just having more control over my state of being and consciousness and not being so someone can swear at me in the street and it ruins my whole day. Like it was interesting. I was walking down my street the other day and there was a homeless man brushing his teeth and uh, <laughs> in this really nice neighborhood. And then a guy crossing the street with his dog and the guy with the dog must have looked at the homeless man brushing his teeth and the homeless man was just yelling and screaming and swearing. And the guy crossing the street with his dog just calmly walked across the road, staring, looking at the guy, no like anger, frustration. And I was like, I want to be that man. Yeah. That man that can just have a screaming, homeless, aggressive person <laughs> swearing at you. And it just not like, it's not, yeah. just let, it, take it, out. let yeah. it go. I don't yeah. have to channel that and like take on that. Um, well, and that's what meditation is, right? Yes. It's just, it's, let the, go. it's the exercise of letting go. And it is so game changing. And they've done studies. Like I'm always about the brain science, but mm -hmm. when in the first 60 seconds of meditation, your brain is flooded with uh, serotonin. Mm -hmm. And did you know that even like a seven second hug, can release a chemical on the brain that creates this feeling of well-being, which boosts your immune system, which, I mean, oh, there's yeah. all these wonderful things that we, they're free. And, yeah. we, and you can do them many times a day. And yeah. even like I go to schools and I say, you know, you sh I'm a big fan of mindfulness and meditation. It's a great place to start as creating a new system in school and like, well, the program's in the vetting and it's the money and we have to get it approved. And I'm like, honestly, one minute before every class at six minutes a day, your kids will still go to Harvard and Yale. <laughs> it, it's, 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 they'll do better overall. And yeah. it's, it's unbelievable the resistance. So it's, I kind of like this whole movement thing, like yeah. using movies to create movements and letting people feel a part of it. That's one of the things I love about changing the title to The Upstanders because it feels very inclusive and it feels like a movement. Yeah. And it's not about being brave. I mean, that feels scary to me. And people say, oh, it takes so much courage. I'm like, I don't want to talk about courage because that scares me and makes me nervous. Mm -hmm. But I can be an upstander. I can yeah. tap that asp. Being an upstander is in all of us. Yeah. So if we learn how to tap it, we will be an upstander. I like that. And, so, and by upstander, you mean... Um, Standing up for yourself, standing up for other people. Is that the idea? Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Um, this is fun. Um, you <laughs> have kindly offered to give away a year subscription to IndieFlix. So yeah. that's awesome. Thank you so much for that. Can you just share with us just a little bit about the, because you said it's a streaming and a screening service. What's the yeah. difference between a stream? Like, so streaming is online and screening and is That's the, the streaming service. And then the screening is the individual screenings that we do in thousands of schools in 50 countries. And um, it's so funny because I, this was the woman thing where I was somewhere in, oh, I was at a film festival and the guy who was opening night film, I knew him and he was 
kind of pacing the hallway and nervous. I just arrived in town, and he said, uh, "Oh yeah, you're. I, yeah, we met. You're the girl who does uh, those little school screenings." And I said, <laughs> "Yeah, that's that's me." He goes, "What are you doing here?" And I said, "Well, my film is here." And he's like, "Oh really?" And I said, "Yeah." He goes, "Huh? Okay. What's it called? Whatever." And this was for like the one that's just come out. Uh-huh. And then this the woman, the programmer, came over and she said. Oh, you're here. Great. You know, your screening is going to be tomorrow. It's at noon. We've already sold out. It's great. I'm like, great, whatever. She go, and she said to the director, I won't say his name because people know him. Oh, do you know Sheila? And he goes, yeah, yeah, I know her. And uh, she said, did you know her film? Like one of her films has done 7,000 screenings in 50 countries. And he was like, 7,000? <laughs> and I said, yeah. And he's like, I thought you just did the little school screens. I said, we do. <laughs> cool. We hit like between... 200 and 3,000 people at each screening. I mean, it's like we have impact. Yeah. We make a difference. It's not sexy. No. But it it makes a difference. It does good in the world. Yeah, and that really resonated with me when you talked about that because, you know, you can watch a film, I can watch a film at home and I can speak to 50 friends and maybe none of them would have seen it. If it is a screening with, you know, a work group of work people or a school or a community, then I've watched that film with, you know, however many people and we've seen it. So there is such an importance of that. Everything seems to be going online and streaming. I think keeping that screening going is, is very important. Yeah. I'm glad you like that. Thank you. You're amazing. You are. This is so fun. This has been really fun. I would love to connect with you um, after this. Um, Where are you based? Are you in I'm the in, UK? I'm in LA. Where are you? I'm in LA. Yeah. I'm, I'm in LA, New York, Seattle, and I go to Hong Kong a lot, but oh, I go to LA a lot too. Oh, great. Well, yeah. I'm going to send you an email with a bunch of stuff after this and okay. I'd love to connect. Yeah. Um, but Sheila, you are a powerhouse, an inspiration, Awesome. <laughs> Thank oh, you for well, talking right to us today. Well, right back at you, Ioni. I'm so happy to meet you. Me too, you. Um, everyone, you can find out about um, Indie Flicks. We didn't talk about Indie Flicks Foundation, but I'll have the link for that as well. Okay. Um, yeah. There'll be a sign-up for uh, this giveaway for the year subscription. I actually want to sign up now. Um, and, uh, guys, I will see you back next week for another episode. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Thank you for listening to the Uplifting Content Podcast with me, Ioni Butler. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review so that more people can find it. And to make sure you never miss a beat, subscribe to our weekly dose of uplifting content, which is an email from me about the best of uplifting content from that week, be it giveaways, videos, interviews, all the good stuff. And as a bonus, when you subscribe, you'll get a hundred of our inspirational memes to share on your social media. The sign-up link is in the show notes. See you next time.